The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. I told Caleb that my message was in 36 size font so I could see my notes this far from my, my face. Now those of you that aren't old yet, stop having birthdays because the more birthdays you have, you tend to get older with, with more birthdays. Isaac, are you listening? Yeah, but you get to go to be with the Lord, though. But you do have a point, you know. I'd like you to turn to two passages to start with. The first is 2 Peter 3, 9, and 10. And don't lose that, because then we're immediately going to go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through chapter 5, 2 Peter 3, 9 and 10. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Class, tell me, what is the beginning of the day of the Lord. Can you tell it from this verse, from this passage? It doesn't say, does it? It just, it gives us the terminal end, the heavens being dissolved, and all that this earth is and has and ever was gets, in effect, it goes poof. It gets burned up. Whether this means that there's a totally new earth or whether it's uh, uh, completely uh, done away with by fire and so there's a new surface, uh, this gets argued. But at any rate, the terminal end of the day of the Lord is the destruction of this earth and everything in it. Now, class, what is the day of the Lord? Does, does it begin in the tribulation period? Now look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. He is writing this so that the Thessalonians will not be ignorant about the day of the Lord. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For we believe that if Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say by the word of the Lord. This is not Paul's idea. 
This is disclosure of truth, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Where is the day of the Lord in this? Is it there? When the Bible was written, Tom, did Paul put verse 1, verse 2, chapter 1? Chap did he put chapter divisions? Didn't do it. The, the, the chapters divisions, uh, I don't think, come in until about the 11th or 12th century. I'd have to check it out. But in other words, uh, that's A.D., So remember that there are no chapter breakdowns. Sometimes they're helpful, sometimes they chop up passages. Now look at chapter 5, verses, verse 1 and 2. But of the times and season, brethren, ye have no need, I write to you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Now, what is the subject of the previous verses? What's the context here? Remember, there's no chapter division when Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. The rapture. And Paul says that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. The rapture does not have any markers, signs, any prophecies that must be fulfilled before the Lord can come, before the rapture can take place? Uh, you can, if you watch the internet enough, you will see people saying, oh, we've got to sign the Lord, the, ra the, the rapture is about ready to come, the Lord's about ready to come. Baloney. There are no signs. If there were signs, it could not take place suddenly. There'd be nothing to indicate that it was about to take place. Now, this passage in chapter 4 here speaks of the Lord coming in the air for his saints. He does not, according to, to, to this verse, he does not come to the earth. He comes in the air. The dead in Christ rise first. We follow, meet him, the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the air. So the, the beginning, the opening scene of the day of the Lord must be the rapture, the taking out of the church. Now, keep in mind, there is a difference between Christ coming for his saints and coming with his saints. For and with become significant prepositions in our understanding of future events. So the opening, the opening part of the, of the day of the Lord is the rapture. Now this term, day of the Lord, is not 
primarily a new term that is new in the New Testament, new in relation to the whole uh, uh, outflow of biblical revelation. By the way, since we as believers are still here, what does that tell us about the rapture, about the day of the Lord? It hasn't started yet. We'll talk more about that in a moment. The second great event, by the way, we're going to talk about three events tonight. Can't cover everything. It's too large a subject. The second event, uh, Dennis, you talked about the tribulation. The second event has to do with that period of seven years, the tribulation, in which great horrendous judgments are poured out upon the earth. The character of the day of the Lord appears in both the Old and New Testament. Uh, Caleb preached on Obadiah the other night, or Sunday night, and uh, uh, neither he or anybody else knows exactly when Obadiah prophesied. There's a note in the Schofield Bible that says if Obadiah prophesied early, well, as the first of the writing prophets, then it's possible he is the first one to use this term, the day of the Lord. I'm going to read to you several descriptions from various prophets regarding the day of the Lord. And suffice to say, it's a period of time which neither you or I or anybody should want to go through or be here when that takes place. Obadiah 1.15 says, For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen. The word heathen is also the same word Gentiles. So the day of the Lord includes is for the Gentiles among, well, it's also for the Jews, but in this case, for the Gentiles. And the Gentiles here in the context is, are the, are the Edomites, which Brother Caleb said are descendants of Esau, which I believe, I think he's, he's quite right on that. The immediate message is, it says, for the uh, day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen, as thou hast done, that is you, Edom, hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall return upon thine own hand, head. As you did to Israel, so it will be done to you. Often, one event, as in this case, the wiping out of Edom, is a picture of a greater day of the Lord, which is the tribulation. And so, so it, it has a kind of a dual meaning. Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 13, 6. The day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the Almighty. There are two things involved. One, the perverseness, the perverse widespread wickedness of the world. And secondly, the world's continual persecution of God's people Israel. Isaiah 13, 9, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel both with 
wrath and fierce anger to lay out, to lay the land desolate. What land is he talking about? Well, two, two lands in mind. The land of Israel, the ones that are going to read this, but as we'll see, the whole earth. To lay the land desolate, and he shall destroy the sinners out of it. Jeremiah 46.10, this is the day of the Lord God of hosts, a day of vengeance, that he may avenge him of his adversaries. Joel 2.1, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. Now again, Joel is probably looking to the immediate, but it's also a picture of the, the distant, which is yet ahead. Amos 5.18, Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and light. Suffice to say, the day of the Lord is not going to be fun. Amos 5.20, Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even very dark, and no brightness in it? Zephaniah 1.14, The day of the Lord is near. It is near and hasteneth greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord the mighty men shall cry there bitterly. Zephaniah 1.18, Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath, but the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. The Lord spoke of this period before his coming in Matthew 24, and we're not going to go through all that, but Jesus said that before he comes back, there would be famines, there would be earthquakes, uh, th there would be false prophets, and there would be persecution of the Jews. This most descriptive section that we have of the tribulation is found in Genesis, or not Genesis, in Revelation 6, chapter 6 through 19. Chapter 6, verse 15 says this. He says, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the earth, and said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? And, of course, the implied answer is nobody. Have any of you in your life ever experienced total, complete, long-term terror? Those of you that, some of you have been in the military. Have in, I don't think we have anybody here that's ever been under hours of, <clears throat> of naval gunfire shell, shelling or, uh, or artillery shelling. Now, to me, that would be terror. Uh, Rick, is that, you were, you were artillery, weren't you? Pardon? 
Oh, I thought you were. I thought. Now, that is the closest thing that I can imagine as being terrifying. There are three sets of judgment in which the judgments of God are poured out upon the earth in the tribulation period. Now, I'm sure that you know them. They are the seal, the trumpet, and the vile judgments. And we're not going to look at all of them, but let me just use three illustrations of the terror that takes place in the tribulation period. In the fourth seal judgment, one-fourth of the earth will be killed with the sword, hunger, death, and the beasts of the earth. What's the population of the earth? About eight million, seven and a half million, or billion, I'm sorry. Is that in the, Dennis, you're, you're somewhat aware of it? Okay, that's what I've, what I've heard, and, I, and I, I could be way off, but that's what I've heard. So, in the, in the fourth seal judgment, a fourth part of the earth is killed. In the fourth trumpet judgment, Revelation 8, 4, a, <clears throat> the sun, moon, and stars don't shine for a third of the day. Now, what kind of panic would take place if tomorrow morning at about, I think the sun's coming up about 6.30 or so, if tomorrow morning the sun didn't come up for another eight hours, which would put it about 2.30 in the afternoon, what kind of terror would that, and panic, would that spread, not just in the United States, but around the world? And then there's the sixth trumpet judgment in Revelation 9.18. A third of the population is killed. Now, I'm not a great mathematician, but uh, that represents about 58% of the world's population in just two of the judgments. Talk about terror. Now, another side to this is that this terror is not, is not located in one part of the world. Now think with me for a minute. In World War I, World War I there were about an estimated 20 million people that died, both in armies and civilians. Pretty good sized number. Where did World War I take place for the most part in the, the, the fighting and devastation? In Europe, maybe a little bit uh, in Turkey and, uh, and maybe a little bit in, in the Mediterranean. Certainly the German submarines in the Atlantic were active. But by and large, North America, Central America, South America, most of Africa, uh, certainly uh, most of, of uh, 
of Asiatic Russia and uh, the Orient were spared of the uh, catastrophe of World War I. Now, let's jump to World War II. Approximately, it's estimated, 75 million soldiers, civilians died. I don't want to minimize these numbers, but where was World War II? What did it affect? Well, we know it affected uh, the Pacific region from the invasions of Japan. Australia got bombed, but it never got invaded. Most of China was not conquered by the Japanese. Neither was Asiatic Russia. And only part of Russia, of European Russia, was invaded by the Germans. And so you've got all of Europe, North America, Central America, South America, had no fighting. Yeah, the, one of the German warships tried to uh, seek... Uh, Haven in, I think it was Argentina, and it ended up being scuttled, but there was no fighting uh, in, the, in the Western Hemisphere. So even though these were catastrophic events, they did not engulf the world as the, uh, as the uh, judgments of God during the day of the Lord and the tribulation are going to. No great catastrophic war in history or plagues or earthquakes or celestial occurrences of the past have come close to those that will take place in the great tribulation portion of the day of the Lord to signal the approaching of the coming of the Lord. Now, we must distinguish, again, the coming of the Lord for his saints. He doesn't come to earth. But the third great event of the day of the Lord is the return of the Lord with his saints. Class, where did Jesus Christ ascend into heaven? Mount of Olives. Acts chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? That same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the Mount Olives, from Mount Olivet. Tell me, how did Jesus ascend into heaven? In, in what form? That may be a, maybe. In a body. The, the, the two men, the angels, said he's going to come like he returned. Now, this is important because there are those that deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has got to, got to uh, rise, from the, rise from the dead bodily because he's going to reign over 
Israel as the uh, fulfillment of the covenant that God made with David. Now, if, if the body of Jesus Christ was not real before he died, the crucifixion would be like trying to nail jello to the wall if he was a spirit. Uh, John, uh, the pastor has preached from 1 John. Uh, 1 John says, if you deny the, the body of Jesus Christ, you're an antichrist. He died bodily. He rose bodily. He appeared to the disciples. He says, look, touch me. Feel my hands, my feet. A spirit does not have uh, does not have um, uh, flesh and bones as you see that I have. Uh, by the way, do you have something to eat? And he eats bread and, and honeycomb. He rose bodily in a real body. It was a glorified body. Someday you and I are going to have a body like unto his glorious body, according to Philippians uh, 3, 20 and 21. Now, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is going to return in the same way that he left, to the same place. Zechariah 14 says this, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. Now, notice what follows is considered part of the day of the Lord. And thy spoil, that's the spoil of Israel, will be divided in the midst of thee. For I, that's Jehovah God, will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken. Let me pause a minute. By the way, what is the approximate popula Jewish population of Israel today? It's about 8,000. There may be 11,000, 11, 8,000, 8 million. There's about uh, 2 or 3 million non-Jewish people living in, in the country of Israel today. But what country in the Middle East with a population not a whole lot bigger or about the size of New York City, what country in the Middle East is the 900-pound gorilla militarily? This little country of Israel. I sat on a bus uh, in um, Cambodia. I, uh, I, we were going to Thailand for uh, medical uh, treatment. We got down to uh, Gakon, the, the border town that we would cross into into um, uh, Thailand, and voila, we forgot our passports. So I had to take a bus five hours, six hours back to Phnom Penh one day, and then five hours back uh, uh, to, to Gakon to go across the Thai border. Behind me, I maybe I've told this before, but I think it fits here, here is a Caucasian-looking man. Um, I was, I, he and I were the only Caucasian-looking people on the, on the bus. Well, there's a, a Cambodian MTV video playing. It's obnoxious as obnoxious can be. 
I struck up a conversation with him and found out that he was Jewish. And I told him, I said, I said, may I share some things from the Jewish Bible? I said, in spite of your Mossad, that's their intelligence agency, in spite of the, the, uh, the armaments, your tanks and your airplanes and your guided missiles and, and, and the ferocity of your fighters, the time is going to come when you are going to be crushed by the uh, nations of the world. And by the way, anti-Semitism is on the rise all over. Uh, one of the uh, uh, letters that I get from uh, uh, our missionary to Israel, Shalom Ministries, uh, uh, Dr. Hartman, made that statement recently. Uh, there seems to be a closing in. Uh, the, the, Demo our De the Democrats in our Congress were once supportive of Israel. President Truman in modern Jewish history is credited with, mo with the push at the UN to get Israel established in Palestine as an, Indi as an India, as a, excuse me, independent nation in 1948. Well, now you've got the squad and many others that are completely against Israel. But eventually, the nations of this world are going to close in and squeeze and absolutely crush Israel. And when all is lost, let's continue. This, let's see. <clears throat> For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished. And half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the resident of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. There's our campaign of Armageddon. And his feet. Now, wait a minute. At the beginning of this passage, it talks about the Lord. Does, now, this... I doubt that this is an anthropomorphism. Uh, in other words, a feature of man ascribed to God. But, in the, uh, but does God the Father have a body? What does Jesus say to the woman at the well? God is a spirit. How does God have a body in the person of Jesus Christ. Acts 20, 28 talks about the church which he purchased with his own blood. God does not have blood or feet other than the fact that in the second person of the Trinity, he took on human form. He humbled, Jesus Christ humbled himself and lived as a man. Then shall he go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. Have any of you seen pictures of, uh, pastor's pictures of the Mount of Olives? If you ever see a picture of the Mount of Olives, look to see if it's split like this or if it's one long mountain. 
If it's one long mountain, what's that going to tell us? What happens when he comes back? It what? Wow, it splits half to the north, half to the south. In my first church, I, I preached on this passage. And that afternoon, even, even though we're a rural church, that afternoon, a couple of JWs <laughs> happened to call on, my, on the chairman of our deacons, a good, a good man, Dean Arnold. <laughs> and I had just preached on it, you know, maybe an hour or two before. And Dean whips out his Bible and says, look, the Mountain of Olives is, it has not split yet. See, the JW say he came in 1914, spiritually. So, I can't say for sure about that, but I know this. The scripture does indicate that there will be massive changes to the topography of Israel. Uh, I, I have heard that before, but I, it, it, it's, it's one of those fascinating things to say, just put it in your mind and just, we'll, we can look at it when we get there, all right? Well, how do we know the day of the Lord hasn't started, first of all? We're still here. What's the second reason? Worldwide catastrophic judgments have not yet taken place. It doesn't mean that World War I, World War II, and every other war hasn't been horrific. But number three, the Mount of Olives is still intact. So what does that mean? God is still giving time for repentance. Now, I think probably everybody here is a believer. But the Lord is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. Verse 11 says, seeing all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Certainly, the any moment rapture of believers should be a motivating, a huge motivating factor for us to live godly lives. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when, we shall, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself as he is pure. So that is my challenge to myself and to you tonight.
Father, thank you for your word. Guide us now in our prayer through the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Uh, uh, men, let's get together. Women, let's get together. Um, I've mentioned before that uh, I've been praying for a Jehovah's Witness man by the name of Carl about, uh, oh, probably four weeks ago. Uh, we ha I was on a Zoom call with him and from one of his... Uh, I don't know what they call them, elders at the Kingdom Hall over here. And after that, uh, Carl said, well, we, we won't talk anymore. And I thought, we are done. Well, about a week ago, he, we emailed, I sent him an email, and, and he said, uh, when are we going to get together again? Surprise, surprise. So I have an appointment uh, Saturday night at 7 o'clock. The Lord has opened, kept the door open. Uh, how's your good wife doing, uh, Steve, with the arthritis? She's going to have surgery for her knee or neck? Oh, neck. Okay. Okay. Remember, we have some missionaries, especially the Darlings, that are in a precarious place in Hong Kong. I haven't seen any letters from them for a long time. It may well be because they don't want to send anything out because the, their emails are being monitored. Pray for them as well as their, the people in the small group that they have together uh, in their church. But the, the communist government, if you follow the news at all, has clamped down on, uh, on protests that took place in Hong Kong. Uh, I think Cambodia is still uh, lockdown. I don't know what the degree it is. Kenya seems to be open. Uh, I, I saw a video from uh, oh, Spain. I can't remember which missionary it was, but but they're they're all they're meeting, but they're all wearing masks. Uh, look, keep praying for for uh, Mark Manenti, um, Chris Beals and Georgia Deacon. So men, let's collect over, and women collect together, and we'll pray. Any other prayer requests? Okay. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.